This message was given at Campus Fellowship's 2021 fall conference. The theme of this conference was the five soul loss. Grandview CF Director Blake Joyner shares on grace alone. We hope this is encouraging. Okay, concept. So here's, here's the talk. The concept we're going through is we're saved by grace alone. And this is extremely important. We can't, as Campus Fellowship, reiterate this enough to know that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, as outlined at, in Scripture alone. The reason that's so important for us to continually reiterate and to go through is because if you learn that now and it gets into your heart, it will guard against false teaching now and for the rest of your life. And you won't go on becoming a false teacher. And so that's the concept that I'll be teaching this morning for you, is we are saved by grace alone. Before I do that, I'd like to just say a word of prayer. So if you would, bow your heads. Our Father in heaven, uh, we just thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you for uh, the opportunity to teach. We know that this concept of being saved by grace alone is only made real to our hearts through the power of your spirit. And so, God, we pray that your spirit would become explosively present and make these concepts real to our heart, that we'd be transformed um, into your image. And so I lift all this up, Jesus, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so this is my fifth fall conference. My first fall conference, I wouldn't have thought I'd be up here speaking, but each time someone comes up, I really enjoy, I I actually enjoy when they throw the photo up. Everyone's just kind of like, it's the thing. Um, But I really enjoy just like getting to know the speaker just a little bit before they just teach, teach the message. And so they usually have a cute family photo of themselves and they have a flannel on or some boots or something. And so uh, I, was, I just followed suit. So I went ahead and took a, a family photo with my cute, my whole family are super cute. So if you would throw it up, that's, they, they, take after, they take after their dad. So uh, that's us. We're, we, that's us, we're a cute little family. And, uh, except the one, the one in the middle takes after I guess mom? I, anyway, um, that's, that's mom. So, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're super cute. Anyway, my name is Blake Joyner. Like Jake Bennett said, I am the director of Campus Fellowship at Grandview, Uni- Grandview University. While I was there, I studied business, finance, and marketing. I was also on the wrestling team. I didn't always have any sort of like passion or desire to teach God's word. Uh, or to make him known in any way. I didn't really care that much about doing his will. But that all changed. One time I had a friend on the wrestling team. His name was John Orschelin. If you've ever been south of the border towards Missouri, there's a bunch of Orschelin farm at home. Anyway, anyway uh, so yeah, he invited me. He's like, hey, you want to go to a cop shop, do homework? And so I went. I remember I sat down. He got my attention. He, he read a verse, and he's like, what do you think this means? I'm like, I don't know. Let me see that. And so I, I grabbed the Bible. I took it in my own hands. I started to read it. And I read it once and twice. And I'm like, I have no idea what this means. And I just kept reading it over and over. And that day, I just remember, all of a sudden, I started to, to realize that it was God's word spoken directly to me. And I, and I just came under the conviction that God personally was speaking to me. And he used that. I like looked up at John like he was a hero. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Like, Wow, and, and I just felt like God was speaking to me, and uh, I and it, that started about a week of of just deep soul searching for one week. It's kind of funny, but like in one week, I had t- completely turned from my my life, my sin, 
and, and surrendered my entire life to Christ. And, and when I did, I turned to the Spirit of God. And, and the reason I know that I had the Spirit of God, and I still do, is because within one week, he, he had given to me, in my heart, a deep and burning passion to know him and to make him known. It was new. It was a new passion I had never experienced my whole life. And he gave it to me, and I've had it since. And so the question is, how? What? I mean, what caused that change in one week to go from caring less about the things of God to a week later, I want nothing more than to know and obey his every last word. What could explain that? John Newton wrote a song. Many of you probably know it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And so it was that I saw the amazing grace of God. And we're going to look at it under three headings. The first heading, if I remember, is the power of grace. The second heading is the price of grace, if you're taking notes. And the third heading are the purposes of grace. And so the power of grace. Call it out. What do you think of when you think of power? Call it out. What do you got? Strength. Strength. What else? I need more. Lake Joyner. In Christ. What else? Wisdom, power, any other examples? Give me something crazy. I'm like, come on, get, get weird. What's that? The president, okay, we're getting political. What, 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 what else? Dates? Date, like going on a date or eating dates? Tanks? Oh, military tanks. Yeah, there we go. Those are crazy, dude. Okay, so anyway, um, yeah, I think of those are really great examples. I also think of just like a star explosion. I think of those trains. I don't even know if they're real, but they hover over something, like anti-gravity trains, and they're just like, just in Japan or something. I think of those. What else? I also think, okay, you're going to think I'm joking here, but I'm not. Fiber. Fiber. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. Let me get a amen. So many of us have witnessed the power of fiber. And so it, it has been life-changing. My parents, they used to make me drink prune juice before bed. All I needed was fiber. And so prune juice or fiber, fiber, they give orange. Anyway, okay, I'm getting, this is just the intro. We got to go. Okay. What, you think, okay. So anyway, you think of, of, of uh, a good fiber supplement. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. But my point is, it doesn't even compare to the power of God's grace. See, fiber can move me to the restroom, but God's grace can move me from death to life. Can I get an amen? Can I get a... <laughs> okay. So I'll read the verse in Ephesians. says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. So no, not only are we made alive by the power of God's grace, but there are other blessings that flow from his grace. And so we're going to take a look at a couple of those blessings. There's several that Paul outlines in just the first two chapters of Ephesians. So let me get a hallelujah, amen, if you want to hear the power of God's grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so I'll just, I'll pull it through. Verse 3, by the power of God's grace, what do you receive? You receive you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Everything. There is nothing that is blessed 
that is withheld from you, everything. By the power of God's grace, you are adopted as sons for God. By the power of God's grace, we are redeemed through his blood, the forgiveness of trespass. By the power of God's grace, we are given knowledge of the mystery of his will. By the power of God's grace, we are recipients of a perfect inheritance. By the power of God's grace, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. By the power of God's grace, we have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavens. And these blessings are only some of the blessings that God, in his grace, have blessed us with in Christ. If we didn't have these blessings at one time, so none of, we didn't have these blessings, but now we do, what changed? What happened? Our second point. The second heading is the price of God's grace. So he gives you all of this at what cost? What changed? Second heading, the price of God's grace. To understand, we have to nail down the meaning of grace real quick. Take a quick excursion, if you will. In, in the first century, there were two meanings for the word grace. The first means a gift given to one who is deserving. And I think this is my grandmother, my grandma Betty, at Christmas. Okay, so you think about my grandma, my sweet grandma Betty. This is how she does her dealings at Christmas. She gives you grace, but if you're deserving, she gives you a $50 check. She's like, $50? And she, she writes the check and she gives it to you, but she doesn't write them before Christmas. She writes them at Christmas. If, if you came to Christmas, you get a check from grandma Betty. But if you, it's like roll call. Bill? It's, a check. It's, it's like she gives you a free gift. There's no obligation for her to give you her money, but she does. It's a gift, but you deserved it. You did something. You, you showed up for Christmas. If you didn't show up, you didn't get the gift. Okay, and so this is the first meaning of grace, and this is not the meaning by which Paul is using when he uses the word grace. There is a second meaning, and it is a gift given to those who are undeserving. I gotta get this right. Hold on, this is funny. Okay. Give us fifty dollars. God gives us everything. Christ. Did I really go that far? I'm sorry. Bear with me. Grandma Betty. God gives us everything. Did someone mess with my iPad while I was not getting it? Okay. Uh. Okay, yeah, so uh, I guess I compare, okay, God gives us, stick with me, God gives us everything in Christ as a gift, and we as individuals, okay, yeah, so, so God does give us everything in Christ as a gift, and we as individuals tend to think that the reason that we know God and he's given us his spirit in some way, shape, or form is because we're deserving and, and that is not the word that's used here. That is not the meaning of the word grace. It's, it's to you who are undeserving. And the example I have is like, it's like you went to Grandma Betty's house early, before Christmas. You stole her checkbook. You poisoned her potato salad. You skipped Christmas. <laughs> and then even once Grandma finds out, she still gives you money. And better yet, she signs her entire inheritance over to you. Her entire estate over to you. <laughs> Maybe the same thing, I don't know. So Grandma Betty doesn't owe you anything. If anything, you owe Grandma Betty. 
And everyone there is like looking at the guy like, Joe is like, he didn't even show up. He stole your money and poisoned our potato salad. He owes you money and he owes me my doctor bill for the potato salad. Now I have to buy more fiber. Okay. Money is fact. Yeah, it's like, Joey, you don't, you don't deserve any money from Grandma. Why is she giving you the estate? And it's just like you don't deserve life from God. And in fact, just like Joey, you're indebted to God. You actually owe God something. And so what is it that you owe God? What, what sort of debt are we under? And I'll read a verse in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath. We are all under the debt of God's wrath, and this is what you owe. This is what you owe. And some say that they don't agree with God's wrath in light of what you think God is. You say, I don't, I don't believe in God's last wrath. And, and I think um, I have an illustration that I think is unbelievably helpful to help you remember that you do. You do agree with God's wrath. So imagine this. Imagine, unlike myself, who forgot where my flannel was in the family photo, imagine you do find your flannel. Oh, here it is. You put it on. Logically, you find a girlfriend. You, you, the next step after you find your flannel is you, you get a girlfriend or you get a boyfriend. Maybe, maybe the girl gets a flannel. It's like, okay, so you guys, you know, you realize she's your honey. She's, she's, your, she's your muffin. She's your, I'm going to marry her. And you guys get married and you have a, and you want kids until so you have a baby. And then you guys watch your baby grow up. You know, he's one, he's two, or she's two, three, four, grows up five, six years old. And then you get a call that something absolutely horrendous has happened to your baby, your child. There's something absolutely terrible. You get a call, you find out that your child has been taken advantage of, your child has been molested by an adult. Wrath. <laughs> you, you picture that. Your, your baby, you, your child, adult, wrath. And the sense of wrath that you have, you have because you're made in the image of a just God. And that sense of wrath that you have is a drop, just the drop, that anger, is just a drop in the infinite ocean compared to God's wrath. C compared to God's wrath, it is just a drop in the infinite ocean of God's wrath towards injustice. And you think about how vile that person looks to that adult. You, you did that? You did that? You are so twisted, you're vile, you're, you're nasty. You're, and again, as, as nasty as that person looks to you, is just scratching the surface of how vile you look to God. That sin against your hypothetical child 
is, is not nearly as terrible as the sin you've committed against the innocent God. You're much more vile. We are much more vile. And God is angry. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins again, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also in you. Again, how disgusting is the person who committed the crime against your child? How vile and despicable do you have to be? How nasty and twisted? And Jesus says, even Jesus says, to the Pharisees, the most religious people, the ones you think are most acceptable in God's sight, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How can you escape being condemned to hell. And if these are the most religious people and cleaned up persons, what hope do we have? And so, that is what you owe. You are under the debt of God's wrath. And you know, it's right, you have wrath. You know how evil. That's, that's us, that's you. That is the price of God's wrath. That is the price of God's grace. Though you owe the price, the debt of God's wrath, Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord, came from heaven to earth and he paid it for you. God paid your way. Our Lord God, again, he came down on the cross. God became guilty of the sins you've committed, not his own. God took the blame for our sins, not his own. God felt the shame of our sins, not his own shame. God the Son became vile, and despicable in the sight of God the Father. And the anger, the wrath that boils towards sin and injustice, the wrath that boils over toward you for your sins because you are vile in the sight of God, Jesus Christ had poured out on himself. God paid your debt of wrath. Jesus felt the rejection that you deserve, that you owe. Jesus felt the abandonment for a crime he didn't commit. He was punished. And this is the price of grace. That's the price of grace. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. And what a price God was willing to pay for you. Amen? You get an amen? Amen. Chapter 1 says, 
never mind. But God was more, more than willing. And this is what's really, really fascinating about this passage, and we'll lead into our third and final point. God was more than just willing to go through that for you. This was his plan all along. God paying our debt wasn't just a response to the problem. Before the foundation of the world, before the creation of mankind, God knew that we would fall into sin. Did he not know that we'd fall into sin? He knew. So he was more than willing. Chapter 1, verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Excuse me. It was always God's plan to go to the cross. Before he created I'm going to go to the cross, and then he created man. There, there was, the obvious question is why. Why would... Why would he do that? Why would it? There's literally no conceivable cost greater than to go through the wrath of God. And he chose to do it. It wasn't like a, a band-aid to the sin wound. He's like, oh man, they fell and I need to go and rescue. It's like, no, before he even created man, he knew he would go to the cross. In fact, it was his plan. Why? Why did he want to go to the cross. That's our third and final header, the purpose of grace. The purposes of grace. And we'll look at three. You are saved by grace, Paul says. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God Purpose one, God wanted to put the immeasurable riches of his grace on display, and he wanted to make you a display of his gracious nature. So picture this. The end of the age comes, and you're hanging out with a few angel friends in heaven. You're all just kind of hanging, maybe drinking some spindrift. All of a sudden, a slightly younger angel runs up on the group. And he begins to question the other angels. He says, what is that, what used to be evil creature doing here on this side of the chasm? This is a time, chasm has been fixed. All those have been separated, either away from God or with God. Like, what, a little angel comes up, what, what's the story? Why is he here? It's like, and the, and, and the elder angel then exclaims, he's like, oh, you unlearned one, that's... You, that's, let me, lest we explain. And so he gets into it, and he starts to explain, see, when you see those who once reflected evil on this side of the chasm, you see a reflection of grace due to the fact that they're here. And when the Lord God looks at them, little unlearned one, when, when the Lord God looks at them, he sees a reflection of himself, of himself. He sees his own grace. Like, like a man looks at a trophy, he sees a reflection of his face. God looks at you and sees a reflection of his grace. 
You have been recreated in the image of grace. You have been recreated in the image of God. You reflect God in Christ. You reflect his grace in Christ. This is one of the purposes for grace. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace. He wants to put it on display in you. The second third purposes of grace are found in verse 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So the second purpose of being saved by grace is that is so that no man may boast. The younger and the unlearned angel says to the elder angel, well, what did these creatures do to deserve being here that the others did not? The elder angel just then states nothing. God has mercy on those he shows mercy. For if these evil creatures did something to deserve grace, it wouldn't be grace, now would it? The second purpose of grace is that it's so that no man may boast. You're saved by grace so that no man may boast. And if we're in heaven and you have no reason to boast in yourselves, who are we boasting in Christ? Which is our third point, our, our, our third purpose of grace. Why are we saved by grace? He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That we would praise the glorious grace of Jesus. And so what do we do? So application of grace, just to finish up, what do we do? Paul concludes this section of scripture, chapter Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, what purpose? For good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And John Piper, just a, a quote to end before prayer, John Piper, famous pastor, theologian, once said, Christ did not die to make good works merely possible or to produce a half-hearted pursuit. He died to produce in us a passion for good deeds. Christian purity is not the mere avoidance of evil, but the pursuit of good. So in light of grace, let us passionately pursue God's good work. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we praise you for the power of your grace. We praise you for paying the price of grace. We praise you for revealing some of the purposes of your grace. We are saved by grace and grace alone and are in no way deserving. And so we thank you. Please produce in us a never-ending passion to do your work. Jesus, our Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. If you found this encouraging, we hope you'll subscribe or follow for more content. Or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Campus Fellowship is a student organization whose goal is to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. Thanks for listening.